Hello, everyone. I'm Ava. Um, I'm a new Covenant member of the well and serve Woo! as a group. <laughs> I serve as a greeter, and I also go to the Hyde Park CG. Today, I'm going to be reading from Judges 7, 1 through 18. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has served me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set by, set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all others go every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands, in their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent. But he retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Porah your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Porah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay alongside the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread trembled, tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to a tent, stuck, struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ava. She killed it. Yeah, give her a round of applause. How's everyone doing? Uh, my name is Yusuf. I am the college director here at The Well. And I am so, yes, uh, I will take all the praise. Uh, 
I'm excited to be with you guys today as we continue on in Gideon. Um, real quick, uh, just wanted to let you guys know, I actually had COVID like two months ago. Uh, keyword had, right, past tense. So I don't currently have COVID, but I still do have a little bit of a lingering cough. And so uh, don't be alarmed if I'm, you know, if I'm up here coughing. Uh, I will be okay. Uh, and we'll get through this, right? I mean, through my weakness, God is made strong, right? Amen. And even if I have to get a soggy up here to preach this sermon for me, or preach like him, amen, uh, we will get through this, all right? So, hey, if you're joining us for the first time, we're actually in the middle of a sermon series we've titled The Beautifully Broken Hero. And we've been looking at the story of Gideon, really looking at what does it look like to, to push back darkness. And we've taken a few different approaches to that question. We started by looking at what about individually in our own personal lives, when it comes to our own personal sin, what does it look like to push back darkness there? And then last week, Tori talked about, okay, what does it look like to push back darkness in our families? Uh, and today we're actually going to look at what does it mean to push back darkness collectively? Like as the people of God, what does it look like to band together, united under the mission and vision to push back darkness for the glory of God? All right. And so a quick recap uh, as to what's going on up until this passage. Remember, the Israelites have been oppressed by an overwhelmingly massive army for about seven years. And so God shows up to Gideon and he tells him, listen, I'm going to use you to save your people. And now Gideon knows how strong the enemy is, but he also knows how weak he is. So he has a hard time believing God. He asks for some confirmation. And God honors it, passes the test to Gideon's satisfaction. And so Gideon begins to believe for a little bit. He begins to walk in his calling for a little bit. But then before Gideon assembles the troops, he actually begins to start doubting again. And he asks God, listen, if you're really going to save Israel through my hand... I'm going to need a little bit more confirmation. So he issues two more tests. God passes them according to Gideon's satisfaction. And so Gideon begins to assemble the Israelite army, 32,000 soldiers. And now the stage is set for the Israelite soldiers to then take on the, the massive Midianite army. And that's where we are when we pick up in chapter 7. And so the first thing we say, we hear the Lord say, as he's gathered the troops in verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. But this is kind of crazy. Like, think about it. He just says, I, I, you guys are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Why that's crazy is because a few verses before that, God told Gideon that he's going to deliver the Midianites into his hand. So whose hand is it, right? Gideon's hand, the army's hand. And Gideon makes it clear, God makes it clear that even though Gideon is the leader... God wants to use not just Gideon, but, but the people with him to accomplish his purposes. And this is what Gideon needs assurance about. I mean, he's, as he's talking to God, he's like, are you sure you're going to save Israel through my hand? If so, like, I need some confirmation, and then I'll know you'll save Israel through my hand. And yet here we see it's not just Israel's hand the Lord wants to use. He uses the exact same phrase for the army. And so even though God showed up to Gideon, God revealed himself to Gideon, God calls Gideon a man of valor... It's not just Gideon that God wants to use. And so I think that when it comes to pushing back darkness as a church, this is actually where it starts. It's understanding that there's, there's this collective ownership in this mission that God has for us. It's not just the leaders of this church or the leaders of your CG that God wants to use. He wants to use you. And so Tori's dope, but God doesn't just want to use him, right? Your CG shepherds, dope. 
God doesn't just want to use them, right? He wants everyone on the team, including you. And so, so collective ownership is this idea that God wants to use me uniquely to be a part of how we push back darkness as a church. You know, the last couple times, uh, last couple sermons, Tori has actually taken some time out to just declare over you that in Christ you are a mighty man or a mighty woman of valor. And my guess is that some of y'all, it's easy to receive that. Like, thanks, Tori, right? Uh, I knew that, but I could use a reminder every now and then, which is great. But for some of you, so I just feel like you hear that and assume that he's talking to someone else. He wasn't. He was talking to you. So that you would take ownership of the fact that God can use you in mighty ways to push back darkness. It starts with collective ownership. And so though we see that God's heart is for Gideon to lead the troops, he wants to use everyone else too. But in that same verse, in verse 2, God, God touches on what's going to be the biggest obstacle for him to use them. What's going what's to be the biggest obstacle to keep them from being used by God in mighty ways? He tells them, listen, I'm going to use you all to defeat the enemy, but right now you guys are too big. Which is, which is crazy, like I said, because there's only 32,000 of them. And there's 135,000 Midianites. And so they're outnumbered by a factor of four. And God's like, if I let you guys win, right, you guys are going to get cocky, think you did it all yourself. And even though it's improbable, God is like, I want to make sure that, that you're dependent, right. And so we see, what, we see here that the biggest obstacle that keeps them from being used by God is actually this idea of corporate pride. Corporate pride, not just individual pride, but corporate pride. Because, because in verse 2 he says, I, I need to shrink y'all down lest Israel boast over me. So he's not talking about an individual man. He's talking about the nation of Israel. So corporate pride, right, that, that when we band together and we see God use not just me but us in powerful ways, we can start to think that we're, we're hot stuff without God, Right? When we, see, when we see the well launch another church plant or see 15 people get baptized on a celebration Sunday or see the spirit moving powerfully in worship, we can forget that apart from God and his spirit and his power, we're nothing. And if that happens, if we ever give in to corporate pride, we won't push back darkness for God's glory because we'll be too distracted fighting for our own. We'll be too distracted comparing ourselves to other churches, right? We, would, we won't be a people with a growing heart for the people of God or for the lost. We'll become complacent, consumers, with a what's in it for us mentality that keeps us too distracted to see and meet the needs around us. And so if ever corporate pride consumes us and we buy the lie that we can exist apart from the power of God, we will die as a church, regardless of what our numbers look like. And so God wants to prevent the Israelites from falling into this trap. So what does he do and how does he do it? Verse 3, God's like, listen, I'm going to shrink you all down a little bit. All right. So he tells Gideon, Gideon, tell everyone that's scared to go home. And so he says that in two-thirds of the army, like they all dip, right, they all peace out. And so 32,000 turns into 10,000. And he looks at him and like, yo, even though you guys are still outnumbered, y'all are still too big. And so he, he tells Gideon to issue a test. Take, 
take the 10,000 down to the river, watch how they drink. If they stand and cup the water up to their mouths and lap it like dogs, I want you to put them in one group. If they go down to drink from the river straight, I want you to put them in another group. And so Gideon does that, and it says that only 300 stay standing to lap the water like dogs. And God says, okay, this is who I'm going to use to win y'all's battle. And so a lot of commentators actually believe here, like, what, what, what is going on here? I'll try and explain it. A lot of commentators, um, they believe that this, is, this exercises to separate the elite soldiers from the mediocre average soldiers. They just disagree on what group was elite and what group was average, right? Some say that the 300 that God left Gideon with are actually elite soldiers, that, that they know as they're drinking water to be, be aware of their surroundings, right, as they're drinking water. Others say, no, 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 those aren't the elite soldiers, right? If you're an elite soldier, you know to, to be inconspicuous when you're drinking water. You don't stay standing up. You go down as to make yourself small as possible so the enemy doesn't see you. So God didn't leave Gideon with 300 elite soldiers. He left him with 300 idiots that don't know how to, like, conceal themselves <laughs> as they're drinking water. Either way, I think the overall point is clear. That God's reducing the size of the army as to make an improbable task an impossible one. Why? To eliminate their corporate pride by increasing their corporate dependence on him. Corporate dependence. And I think we can actually understand, we can go one step further to understand this idea of corporate dependence, but it's actually going to involve you guys participating, okay? So, if you are willing and able, please uh, go ahead and just stand up. Everyone in this auditorium, if you can just stand up. <clears throat> Some of y'all, I, I, I ain't standing up. Yeah, you can stay seating if you don't want to. All right, congratulations. You are the 32,000 Israelite soldiers who are preparing to face an enemy four times your size right outside these church walls. All right. And so, that's right, yes, a lot of optimism, I love it. Uh, and remember, this enemy has been oppressing you and your families and your people for seven years. And so chances are very small that you'll win, but God has promised to be with you. He's promised to deliver you the victory. And even though you're outnumbered by a factor of four, he says you're too big, all right? And so if you were on this side of the aisle, all right, this is about a third of the room, I'd like for you to stay standing, okay? That's right. God says, tell everyone that's scared to go home. So if you are on this side of the aisle, you're scared, you run home to your mommies, you all sit down. All right? <laughs> that's hilarious, bro. You can't be scared and run home and come back. You think they're going to let you? No, nah, bro, go home to your mommy, Tori, leaving us hanging. It's too late. All right, Congratulations. You are the 10,000 Israelite soldiers that God is selecting to defeat an army, not four times your size, but 13 times your size, right? Chances are small that you'll win, but God has promised to deliver you the victory. The only thing is you're still too big. So he's like, yo, I'm going to need you all to split into two groups, okay? This group right here, this, this, this first row, these three guys, you guys stay standing. Y'all lap the water like dogs. And then everyone else, sit down. That's, that's hilarious. All right, hey, congrats. 
You are the 300 Israelite soldiers that God is going to use to defeat an army not four times your size, not 13 times your size, but 400 times your size. And I don't know about you, but whether you're in this group of guys or the 10,000, or whether you ran home to your mom and you're watching from a distance, to think that we are outnumbered by a factor of 400, you're all thinking the same thing regardless of what role you play or what group you're in. It's God help us. We don't stand a chance. It's not just I'm toast, it's we're toast. We're all screwed. Right? And so, the, so there's this corporate dependence, this idea that it's not just you that's in trouble, it's not just me, we're all in trouble if it's not for the power of God to come through. And that, that feeling, that's corporate dependence. All right, you guys can sit down. Thank you all. <laughs> Give yourselves a hand. You guys did great. Corporate dependence. That I know, that you know, that we know that we are nothing without the power of God. And I honestly, I feel like I can't move forward without bragging on some of our college students here. Honestly, uh, our Well College team has gone through quite a few changes the past couple semesters. Uh, and one of the biggest changes is that we're trying to actually be very intentional about pursuing the lost on campus. Those that don't know Jesus, right? And we're trying to equip our students to do the same. And the reality is we've, we've, we've done many things to try and support that cause. On Monday nights, we're starting to have these team huddles where our college students come together, not just to connect, but to be equipped with some practical tool that will help them share their faith. And then every month we have a monthly gathering that, that is specifically not just for believers, but for non-believers. To come, to connect with us, to, to hear the gospel, to hear the teachings of Jesus. And that their interest would be uh, that their interest would be, uh, I don't know the word, so that they would become interested, right? <laughs> so, listen, I was like a math minor and an engineering major, English and vocab, and the fact that I can get up here and talk really is a gift from the Lord. <clears throat> right? And we're very strategic and very intentional about making sure that non-believers show up. I mean, I tell my college students, if you're on our Well College team, I know this sounds harsh, but do not show up to a well college night unless you've invited at least one non-believer. And yet, as much as I'm excited about, about Monday nights, as much as I'm excited about our monthly gatherings and how awesome they are, there's one thing we do every week that has encouraged my soul more than anything else. And that's every Wednesday morning at 6.30 a.m., a bunch of college students come together. All are invited. Few show up, as you can imagine. To come together to worship the God of the universe and ask him to do what our Monday nights can't do on, apart from him. To ask him to do what our, our monthly gatherings can't do apart from him. And so they've been a beautiful picture of corporate dependence. And they've really encouraged my soul to see their faith, to get up every single Wednesday and pray with us as we ask God to move to push back darkness on campus. It's a beautiful thing. And it is possible for college students to be up at 6 a.m. to pray. I know some of y'all still can't wrap your minds around that. Um, so, yes, if we're going to push back darkness collectively as a people of God, it takes collective ownership that we all know that we all have a part to play, not just a few of us. And it takes corporate dependence that we all realize that we need God. We don't just need him, but without him, we're nothing, right? 
And so if the call to push back darkness is a corporate one, which I believe it is, and that means everyone has a part to play, but then the question is, okay, how is God calling you then as an individual to partner with him and to partner with us to push back darkness in the world around us? I think it's really important that we allow the next three observations we make about Gideon's story to help us as we discern our calling for, for how God wants to use us uniquely. And so the first thing we can say is we're discerning our calling. The first thing we notice about Gideon's story is that even though he's doubt, even though he doubts, he's at least open to the possibility of God using him. He's open. Why do I say that? Because, because Gideon tells God, if, if you will, I'll need some confirmation. And I would argue that if you will is better than no, you won't. Or no, I won't. Or no, you can't. One leaves the door open for God to move, even if we don't understand or even if we can't see how it's possible. But the other shuts God out entirely. And so even though Gideon has weak faith, I believe that weak faith is actually better than no faith. And God will work with that. You know, a lot of people clown Gideon in this part of the story because he needs a lot of signs. He needs a lot of reassurance. But I don't because I actually have a lot in common with Gideon in this part of the story. You know, I never thought that, that I would be a college pastor one day pushing back darkness on a college campus. Like, I never thought that would be how the Lord wanted to use me, ever. I thought I was going to be pushing back darkness in corporate as an engineer. And that's what I was doing, and I was loving it. And yet, fast forward three years into being an engineer, I go to this prophetic worship night, and this guy prophesies over me, hey, man, I feel like, I feel like the Lord's called you to be a pastor, and as he said that, I just remember all throughout college, everyone would tell me, bro, I think, I think you should consider full-time ministry. I think God's calling you to full-time ministry. And in the most polite way, I would like laugh in their face, right? <laughs> ha, jokes. No, 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 no. God's calling me to be an engineer and how about you mind your business? How about that, right? <laughs> and yet as this guy is prophesying over me, I just begin to weep because I'm like, okay, maybe God is calling me. And yet I tell God, I'm like, listen, God, I'm not about to quit my job and try and fill out a ministry resume. But here's what I'll do. I'll continue being faithful as an engineer that loves his job and that, <laughs> that serves his local church. And if opportunities pop up, I will prayerfully assess them as you potentially redirecting my footsteps. Okay? And so not too long after that. Adam Watson, who's the missions pastor here, he's also a really good friend of mine, hits me up like, hey, yo, we're actually about to open up a college pastor position, and I think you'd be, I think you'd be really good fit. And as I'm hearing him, I'm like, oh, oh, snap. I did say, <laughs> I did say I would be open to opportunities, didn't I? But then I start thinking, I'm like, but I'm making so much money, and I love my job, and I love my church. And unlike most people I meet, I like Dallas. I, I'm a big fan of living in Dallas. I like it. And so I hang up like, nah, dog, I'm good. I hang up on him. <laughs> and fast forward a couple months, the Lord begins to convict me like, hey, remember when you said that you would prayerfully assess opportunities as they came up as me potentially redirecting your footsteps? And he began to convict me because those were my words, <laughs> right? And he honored them. And as I, as I just began to take one step at a time, it became very clear that this was the Lord. And what, it, what, what really did it for me is visioning the end of my life and not caring how much money I made. 
but being used by God, how he would use me to push back darkness in any season of my life. That's what I wanted. And so I know with confidence that I'm dead smack in the middle of God's will for my life. But it didn't happen overnight. And it started with being open to the possibility. And so are you at least open to how God wants to use you? Are you open? So though Gideon doubts, he's open. And I believe that that's where it starts when it comes to discerning our individual calling. Second, we see that though Gideon's faith is extremely weak, God is patient and meets Gideon where he's at. As he's learning to discern the calling that God, to, to walk in his calling, God is patient with him. You see, after God reduces Gideon's army to 300, he tells Gideon, listen, I've already given the enemy into your hands. And so just go ahead and go ahead and walk in that victory. But this is about the time uh, of the story where Gideon would ask for more reassurance. Are you sure, God? Because I might need another test. But before Gideon asks for a test in verse 10, God actually offers him one. If you're still afraid, go down to the camp with your servant. You're going to hear the enemy combatants talking, and what you hear will give you the confidence to know that I'm with you. Wait, so even though this is like the fifth time that Gideon needs assurance, God is willing to give it to him without him even asking? Really? Why? God is incredibly patient. Incredibly patient with us as we learn to discern what it looks like to walk in our individual unique calling. But aren't we in the Old Testament, right? Isn't this God the Father's territory? And I know that God is patient in theory, but I, I thought we don't really see his patient side until Jesus comes on the scene. Wrong. God is incredibly patient. He always has been and he always will be. And he'll meet us where we're at as we discern what that unique calling for our lives is. And so the last pointer observation requires that we see how the rest of the story plays out to really understand. So God tells Gideon, hey, go down to the enemy's camp. You'll hear them talking and your hands will be strengthened. So Gideon goes down. He hears the enemy soldiers talking. One of the soldiers is telling the other a super weird dream he had the night before. He's like, listen, man, I had this super weird dream. We were all just chilling and oppressing, you know, just doing what we do. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, a giant barley loaf of bread came tumbling down the hill and wiped us all out. And his friend was like, oh, bro, you don't know what that means? I got you. Here's what it means. The only thing it could mean is that there's this guy named Gideon who God is going to use to wipe us all out. And so Gideon, after hearing this dream from his pagan enemies, is finally convinced that God is with him. And as a result, begins to worship. This is meant to sound ridiculous because it is. Right? It is ridiculous. I mean, think about it. Gideon had God show up to him in the flesh, told him what to do in person. How many of us would kill for that? Right? God, if you can just show up and tell me what to do. And yet... And yet needs test after test after test. And it's not until he hears it from his pagan enemies that, that his faith just now all of a sudden is on fire for God. And he See, Gideon's not a good example of what strong faith looks like initially. I mean, you've got Abraham, right? Just does what God tells him to do. 
And yet the point isn't about Gideon's strong faith. The point is about God's faithfulness. To use Gideon, even though his faith is weak, that we would know that weak faith does not disqualify you from being used by God. It doesn't. And where Gideon gets it right is even though he's broken, he's taking baby steps of obedience. Baby steps of obedience. And this is what brings us to the last observation we can make when it comes to discerning our own individual calling. God will use our baby steps of obedience to not only accomplish his will to push back darkness, but to strengthen our faith and make us more like him in the process. Strengthen his faith. I mean, why, do I, why would I say that? Think about Gideon's response in the story. After he hears the enemies talking, he begins to worship God. But remember, God hasn't delivered the victory yet. And so he believes that God is actually going to, 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 to win this battle on their behalf. But he actually, he hasn't seen it with his own eyes yet. And so he's worshiping before the wind. And I would argue that that takes a lot of faith to do. And not just me, but the author of Hebrews. The, the first verse of chapter 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And if you keep reading in chapter 11, the author of Hebrews actually name drops Gideon as an example of great faith. So God uses Gideon's baby steps of obedience to strengthen his faith. I would argue even transform it. Not only is his faith transformed through this, but God, but, but if you pay attention to Gideon's actions from this point on, you'll actually see him morph into this, this leader that begins to take initiative. He's making moves. And if you, play, if you pay close attention to his actions, he's interacting with his army the same way that God's been interacting with him the whole time. And so God tells him, arise, I have given the enemy into your hands. He believes, runs to his army, arise, the Lord has given the enemy into not my hand, but your hand. He's, he begins to empower them the same way that God has empowered him. And so, and then he takes them and he divides them into three camps, into three different groups, the same way that God took his original 32,000 and divided them into three. And then he looks at him and says, listen, do exactly what I tell you to do, the same way that God told him, do exactly what I tell you to do. We see that through this process, God isn't just patient with him. He uses Gideon's baby steps of obedience to strengthen his faith and make Gideon more like him in the process. And so as we're discerning our calling, would we remember that? Would it start with collective ownership? We all have a part to play. Would it, would it trickle down into corporate dependence? We all need God and without him we're toast. But then as we start to think about what our unique part is to play, would we remember those three things? It takes being open. God is incredibly patient as we're learning to walk in our calling and to discern what he wants for our lives. And that God will use our baby steps of obedience to make us more like him and strengthen our faith in the process. So how does the story end? Well, the 300 confront the Midianites. They have a trumpet in one hand. They have a jar of clay in the other. They get to them. They start smashing the jars. They start blowing the trumpets. And they yell for the Lord, a sword for the Lord and Gideon. 
And just what happens next is like unreal. They, the enemies, they all get confused and just start attacking each other. And by the time they realize what's going on, it's too late. Like they're all almost all wiped out. So the rest of them start running and the Israelites pursue them, attack them, and ultimately defeat them. And what's crazy is if you, if you think about for the, for the Lord, for the, a sword for the Lord and Gideon, it sounds like Gideon's taking some partial credit for what's happening here. But let's be real. Who won this battle? They didn't do anything. They were unarmed. Right? They made some noise. They were hopelessly outnumbered by a strong and powerful enemy. They had no shot. So who really won that battle? God did. And this is true of our sin. We were hopeless with no shot at overcoming the enemy of sin and death on our own. Powerless to free ourselves from its curse. And yet through this story, God is actually foreshadowing how he plans on, on defeating humanity's greatest enemy. How is he foreshadowing it? It's actually through that crazy dream we, we, uh, we read where the Midianite soldier dreams of a, a cake of barley bread taking out a powerful enemy. You see, barley was actually considered the grain of the poor, right? It's for people that, people that weren't wealthy enough to afford wheat. So the wealthy would actually use barley to feed their animals. The poor would use barley to make bread. It was a lowly bread. And that word cake in the Hebrew actually means to pierce or to wound. And so this dream is actually a pointer to how God is going to overcome our enemy. The enemy of sin and spiritual death. And Jesus comes on the scene not as a powerful warrior, even though he was, but as a poor and lowly servant. And though he appears weak, though he appears weak, would be the only one strong enough to do what none of us could do in our own strength. To defeat a very powerful enemy. And how does he do it? Not through physical violence, but through allowing himself to be pierced. And it's through his sacrifice that we walk in the victory over our sin. So when it comes to our salvation, who gets the, who gets the credit? God does, right? But according to Ephesians 2, there's still more to the story. Not for our salvation, but what we do with it, right? We have a part to play. That we're saved by grace, yet created to do good works in Christ Jesus. We're saved not to sit on the sidelines but to partner with God to push back darkness for his glory. We're saved for partnership. The same idea is shown in Philippians where Paul tells the, the church of Philippi, I know I'm going to be delivered. How? Not just by the Holy Spirit, but also your prayers. There's this beautiful partnership that we begin to see. And so in other words, because of what Christ has done, we get to partner with God collectively as we push back darkness for his glory. And realize that we all have an individual call to be used by him. And make no mistake, if you are a Christian, there is a call on your life to push back darkness. There is. And this isn't about the well. So it may not be here, right? This is kingdom of God. That you would discern what your individual call is to partner with God and the people of God to push back darkness in the world around us. And so as we read this story, who do you resonate most with? Maybe you're a Gideon. 
Maybe you're overwhelmingly aware of your weaknesses and have a hard time believing that God could even use you to do mighty things. Or maybe you're in the 300 where you're, so, you're confident. You know that you're dead smack in the middle of God's call for your life right now. And you're seeing him use you in mighty ways. Or maybe you're scared and you're running home and you're sitting out. And what you'll see if you keep, re- if you keep reading the story that even those that sat out initially were invited to join the fight as the enemy was on the run. There's this call to get in the game. And those that didn't, they still got the spoils of victory, but they missed out on the joy and excitement of being on the front lines of seeing God do the impossible through you. And so we're going to see victories as a church. We're going to see people get baptized. We're going to plant churches. We're going to see God do amazing things. We, let's get it indeed. Yo, you want to come up? Who was that? You want to come out and preach the rest of the sermon? Come on, Jonathan. But in all of it, would we remember God is our ultimate source of strength, that we would be corporately dependent on him, and that we would seek out which role that we actively play as we journey together, gather together to push back darkness collectively as the people of God. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your patience. God, it's very obvious you don't need us. You didn't need the 300. They didn't even fight. You could have done that with one person or 10,000 people. But you chose 300 so that we would see the beautiful balance that though you can do it yourself, you still want to use us. You still want us to be a part, to partner with you. And so, God, as I'm looking out right now, I see a lot of people that are part of the 300 in the fight to push back darkness. Would you help them see how they're being used by you so that they would experience the joy in the midst of it? Some of us are Gideons in different ways, God. Help us trust you that you can use us regardless of how broken we are. And some of us aren't even, aren't in the game. God, would you help us get in the game? Some of us aren't even following you. Father, as they attempt to push back darkness apart from you, would you draw them into your kingdom so that they would taste and believe and see that true strength is found in you and you alone? God, we thank you so much. I thank you for this body, for the people of God. And would our lives be a testament to your love, not just for us, but your love for the outsider, your love for the world around us, that we would gather, experience your love, be equipped for the sake of pouring out, not just in each other's lives, but pushing back darkness in the lives outside of those walls. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.